Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show. Our mission is to serve you and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. One way we serve you is one-on-one through our Team Clark Consumer Action Center for roughly 30 years now. We have been available for free to answer your questions, concerns, complaints, provide info to you and guidance one-on-one for nothing. It's really important to me that you have some place you can turn to that you can trust. And that's why we do it. And so it's made up of employees and volunteers, Team Clark. And so you can talk with one of our team members from 10 in the morning till 4 in the afternoon. Those are Eastern time zone times. And the number to call is 636-49-CLARK. So I recently talked about how what you can earn on savings accounts, money market funds, CDs, talked about the Series I savings bonds since the spring, how now you can actually earn money on your money again. But what's really funny was I read an item bashing the big banks, and no, I didn't write it, I just enjoyed it, about how the big banks find that it doesn't matter if they pay people no interest, that so many people are so tied into the giant banks, they'll just give them the money anyway and earn nothing on it. And then the bank turns around and says, oh, well, interest rates are rising. So we're going to charge more money on the money we lend to businesses and for auto loans and whatever else we do with money that we lend out. So we're just making more bank now at the bank because we're still paying you nothing on your savings and we're charging you as a borrower much more money. So do you want to play in that ball yard? Do you want to get ripped off by the bank? I mean, why do that? When I say bank, I'm talking about bank where there's a physical branch. And yes, some small local banks are actually offering better deals like credit unions do. But generally, most banking is now controlled by bigger players. And they just squeeze you. They just take advantage of you. And it's your choice if you want to be squeezed and taken advantage of. It was funny. I was looking to see what some of the big banks are paying, like Bank of America paying one one hundredth of 1% on savings, unless you're a primo customer of theirs, then they're paying four one hundredths of 1% on your savings. Similar things at the other giant monster mega banks. At the same time, I walked into one of the credit unions I'm a member of, actually went physically in person. I had to uh, get a cashier's check. And the teller said, you know, we have a special coming next week. We're paying 3.3% on CDs of up to 33 months. I was like, really? And so I put some money into a CD there because 
it's been novel. I mean, when's the last time you saw 3.3% on a CD? Because you can only put so much money into those Series I savings bonds I talk about that are paying right now triple that. But anyway, if you don't know what I'm talking about, go read our briefing at Clark.com on Series I savings bonds. So if you do business with Fidelity Investments or Charles Schwab, they're both paying over 2% right now on money market. They've got a ton of different ones you'll see. And depending on your circumstance, if you're going municipal, you're going regular, you're not going to earn over two on municipal. But you'll see all the different choices of the money market accounts. And several are paying over 2% interest. Again, if you've got money sitting in one of those giant monster mega banks, you either hate yourself or you just don't know that you hate yourself. No, you just don't know and you haven't done anything about it. Don't let inertia be your enemy. Move that money. A lot of the online banks offering really good rates. You know who's a big backer of the online banking sector? Somebody who's such a traditionalist, Warren Buffett. And he, I think, is the largest owner now of Ally Bank. And Ally Bank offers much better deals on savings, even though Ally is an online bank, has become a pretty large bank by itself. But because they're online only, they don't have all the normal bank overhead. And so they can pay you much better deals. So we're headed towards over 2%. And from here, who knows? Maybe we're still headed higher. Uh, Depends on how successful the Federal Reserve is ringing inflation from the economy it's going to take longer wall street's been declaring victory over inflation not done yet but we have turned a corner on inflation it's not going the wrong direction now but it's not defeated yet so for a while we should see better rates on savings cds money market accounts money market mutual funds and the like and will continue for a while because the Series I savings bonds, you know, the rate resets that you earn every six months. We're going to continue to see decent rates of earning on the Series I savings bonds for a while to come. So the most important thing is do not, do not, do not let your money sit and rot at a traditional bricks and mortar bank again. Unless you don't like your money. Krista? This first question is from Greg in Alaska. Hi, Clark. I've been watching CD rates slowly creep up, and I have some at a credit union. I also have a brokerage account with one of your favorite children. I've noticed that I can get better rates on some CD offerings at the brokerage than just going through a credit union. Is there any drawback in purchasing CDs through a brokerage versus just getting them at your credit union? Not at all. So this is something... This is like back to the future. I mean, this is something we talked about 20 years ago is what are called brokerage place CDs. And they're back. So you can go to the discount brokers. You can go to Schwab, Fidelity, or another discount broker, and they can place CD money for you with an FDIC-insured institution, potentially at a higher rate doing it through their wholesale operation, you can get a higher rate than you can on your own going to a financial institution. 
This is from Matt in Wisconsin. My daughter is going to be a sophomore in college. She has around three to $4,000 in cash. She wants to use it to have less student debt. Should she put it against her student loans, invest in a short-term mutual fund or a Series I savings bond, or just keep the money in savings until graduation? So the question is answered by this. If the student loans your daughter has carry no interest till graduation, which certain federal loans carry no interest, then she would not want to pay down the balance. On the other hand, if it does carry interest, then it would be a good idea to use this money towards that loan balance so she's not accruing interest while she's waiting till she finishes school to start paying on the loans. This is from Fadia in Connecticut. Recently, we inherited a trust fund from our uncle. Our cousin helped us throughout the process of figuring out what needed to be done. He billed us for 221 hours. We are wait, one- wait, 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 wait. 221 hours? That's a lot of billable hours. Mm-hmm. We are wondering what a typical and reasonable hourly rate should be. There was no contract or probate court order in reference to his working hours. So a lawyer who specializes in wills, estates, and trusts, they bill a pretty high hourly rate. It's generally considered to be a part of the law that's geared towards wealthy families, business owners, that kind of thing. And it's a very specialized area of the law. So you do have a very high hourly rate, several hundred an hour to as much as like six or $700 an hour, believe it or not, to have a lawyer that that's his or her specialty. In this case, you got a relative billing, I don't know what the cousin's hourly rate was, but how it took 221 hours, there must have been a big mess with that trust or you were taken advantage of by a relative. There should be an accounting for all the hours. Like that's how lawyers have to do it by the quarter hour, right? Uh, Usually they've got a electronic method Mm -hmm. where they're billing you in six minute increments Mm -hmm. most often. So this is really sticky because we are talking about a relative who billed for a massive number of hours and I think, Fadia, what's reasonable is for you to, in a polite way, send a friendly note, because you may not be friendly asking it verbally, and make sure the note is friendly. Say uh, that you were surprised by the number of hours of work. As friendly as you can say, why did it take so many hours? And then the question is, what do you hope to accomplish? And what you hope to accomplish is that the cousin will, and this is why the tone being extra friendly is important, may say, okay, uh, as a gesture to family, I'm going to cut my bill X percent to keep peace and harmony in the family. I don't even want to go to where we go to next if the cousin's response is very unfriendly. But uh, the question would be, was this an abusive action by the cousin billing for so many hours or was there a lot of drama involved with dispersing or handling the trust because of language that was not clear or disputes within the family and that yeah we and if don't the cousin's know. a lawyer i guess you could go to a wilson oh, no, i mean out this would have to the, be a lawyer i, would I mean think. if it's involving the trust how could it not be a lawyer and billing for hours i mean family that, sometimes people do stuff like that i mean i, I can't be picture 
this being anything other. So I'm making a lot of assumptions, buddy, and you're helping me out here by saying, Clark, don't make that assumption. So let us know what happens after. And remember, make the tone of that letter to your cousin very collegial friendly, not hostile. Because if you make the tone of the letter you send hostile, the response you get back will be the same hostility back to you. Uh, Straight ahead, I want to ask you a question. Is your company tracking you? Are they spying on you? You spying on me, Krista? Maybe. You are? (laughs) I'm just kidding. No. So, uh, gosh, it's a weird thing. And there's some justification for it in today's workforce. But at the same time, it can get bad ugly. We're going to talk about that. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I went to business school for grad school. And I think often about the cases, you know, at business school, you study cases on what companies did right or wrong. And I remember in grad school studying so many decisions that were made, a single decision or a group of decisions that led to disaster for a business or led to success. And one that I think is a modern example is why does a cell phone carrier Sprint no longer exist? What destroyed Sprint? Sprint destroyed itself. It was because they had management with an IQ of like 12 that early before this was a thing, started using productivity software to judge their employees. And the productivity software, remember, this is in theory supposed to be a service business, the cell phone business. The employees were only judged on how many customers they could handle per hour, per shift. Never what they actually did for those customers. And so generally, when somebody makes point of contact with a cell phone carrier, They're not calling in to talk about the weather. They're calling in because there's a problem with their bill. There's a problem with their phone. There's a problem with their service. Those calls need to be given a chance to breathe. Well, the Sprint employees knew if they actually helped anybody, they'd get fired because they had to go through those calls or their productivity score was going to go down. And what happened instead is Sprint went down and became extinct because They use productivity measurement, employee measurement, and spying tools for the wrong goal. They were trying to hold down costs instead of retain customers. And that's a death spiral for a business is when it's all about looking myopically at the operation of a business instead of wholly at the operation of a business. How is it that we improve our reputation improve our perception with people and the quality, the actual quality of service. And the key in any business that involves contact, it can be even company to company businesses. 
It's what do you do? How do you handle it when something goes wrong? Are you there for the customer when something goes wrong? Or do you treat them like dirt? And so that's how the loyalty is earned or destroyed. So today I'm really, really skeptical about all this technology now available for companies to spy on their workers and gauge their productivity on different scales that there's been even more of an emphasis on because of all the remote work. And there's this generation gap that is a huge gap between what younger workers today want and expect with work autonomy and remote work and hybrid work and the generally older people who dominate the executive suite at most companies who are like, I only trust somebody's working if they're sitting right in front of me, if I can see them. So since I got to go along with this stupid thing of people being able to work hybrid or remote, well, I'm going to spy on them every way I can. And so companies are buying all this technology, some off the shelf, some custom sold to them to track their workers. So know that you are being tracked. You're being scaled, you know, where they'll use a Likert scale. They'll use some kind of scaling to say good employee, mediocre employee, terrible employee, whatever. And this is a dilemma because there are people who working at home are going to be, well, they're going to loaf some, right? There are always going to be people who, well, they're not looking, so I'm off to do baba. And there is a pattern around the country and the large metros where traffic is a lot worse in the afternoon than it is in the mornings. And it's because people are working harder in the morning and in the afternoon. They're like, well, wouldn't it be great to go play tennis right now? And if you're like, I wish I could go play tennis. I'm working too much. But the point is, there is this expectation gap between a mostly younger workforce and a mostly older management or executive force. And so the question always is, why are you spying on people and what do you hope to achieve by it? And are you measuring the right things? Are you doing a sprint to yourself? Are you going to destroy your company just like those highly paid executives destroyed Sprint, are you going to do that to your own company with how you're measuring people? And for you as an employee, know that likely you are being somehow watched by productivity tools, even at smaller companies now, if you're able to work remotely. And if you are a service worker who works in a company-provided work truck, know that the company's likely got some stuff in that truck that's monitoring you. So just be aware of what's going on here. And Krista, you and I have talked a lot about where that line is. Mm -hmm. Do you have your thoughts? Because you manage a lot of people. Where that line is between expectations of trusting people and when you actually verify? Well, in our case, we're really lucky because we can see the work that everyone's doing and everyone's in touch a lot. And so it's obvious if, you know, if there isn't productivity or if there is productivity. So it's tough because I also 
feel for the business owners and managers that need to, you know, you, you have to see if someone is doing their job or not doing their job and have some way of documenting that, letting them know, you know, you also rewarding people, you know, you like to reward people who are extra productive or go above and beyond for your customers or whatever it happens to be. So I think it's sort of a mixed thing. I feel for both sides because some people, like you said, they're not productive. And you see it in businesses. So why shouldn't the great employees who go above and beyond for the business's customers, you know, be rewarded more than someone who doesn't bother? And how are you feeling about my productivity? These I'm, days? You know what? You're doing great. I'm doing okay. I'm giving you a gold oh. star. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Let's go to this. Mick and Jean in Nebraska wrote in, Dear Coach Howard, I know you want to be called Clark, but you are to us the Bill Belichick of financial gurus. How do you feel about that? Well, he's uh, perhaps the second greatest coach of all time in the NFL. Used so, to really uh, say well, nasty things he, about he's, him. He's, he seems to have... Uh, I think the word cheater's been thrown around. Well, but he seems to have... Uh, what's the... Mellowed? Okay. Over time? All right. Anyway, you are the best. Thank you for that, Coach Howard. Recently, we applied for a new credit card under my wife's name and were denied the card. She has a credit score of 767, which to me merits acceptance. My score is even higher. The reasons they gave were one, few revolving accounts opened long enough, and two, insufficient balance in deposits and investments with the bank. If a 767 credit score isn't going to help me get a credit card, maybe I should just spend money like a drunken fool and enjoy myself. Okay. So let me say in this case, two, I'm going to mention two company names in this case. Uh, one is who knows if this is tied up in the Equifax boo-boo. Mm-hmm. Uh, we haven't talked a lot about the most recent Equifax problems, but Equifax had a uh, internal error that gave improper information to credit granters, and it's not clear how many millions of people are involved, and how many different types of loan products it applies to. Now, Equifax says it was principally about mortgages, which would not explain Equifax as being an angle on the problem you had with such a high score being approved for a credit card. So again, we don't know all the details yet on the latest Equifax snafu. That It's funny... Of all the things about the Equifax snafu that really have has annoyed me, it's that Equifax to this moment has not apologized at any level, including the CEO, who acted like, oh, yeah, so we messed up. Mm-hmm. It's not going to hurt us uh, financially. How did the CEO say it? It's not going to affect our finances materially, I think was the expression the CEO used, something to that effect. Very annoying to me. Why not just say, hey, if we caused you a problem with the interest rate or your approval or denial for a loan, we apologize. Apology. That's not that hard to say. Anyway, Chase was the bank you applied to. And Chase has some unusual criteria for granting credit cards. They used the revolving account average age, and then they said insufficient balance in deposits and investments with Chase. So they made a loyalty decision on you that you were not into Chase for enough stuff to be somebody who they wanted to issue a card to. So I think that it could particularly be a Chase issue. Chase also has some internal criteria they use 
depending on whether you have in the past or currently applied for so many cards with Chase over a period of time, they will deny you just because they've decided you're somebody whose profitability is not going to be enough for them. So I would not take the denial for this card to be because of an issue with your credit. I think it was a decision of Chase looking at your profile and saying, you know what, we don't want Mick and Gene. And I think that's more likely the case. Your credit's probably fine. But to make sure, if you haven't done so yet, set up a Credit Karma account where for free you'll be able to track what your status is with your credit and they'll tell you your likelihood to be approved for various cards from excellent on down so you'll know what your standing is to get another credit card. So the only question I have for you being from Nebraska, how could you talk about an NFL coach (laughs) instead of talking about a football coach at University of Nebraska? I just want to know. All right, and this uh, question is from Edward in Georgia. I'm expecting my first child in December, a girl. Congratulations. Congratulations. And I want to set up an investment account for her in a custodial account, not a 529, and teach her the value of investing early. My goal is to invest approximately $50 a month now, so she'll have access to the gains of this money when she's a young adult. What is the best way to achieve this goal? So I have a bias on this kind of question right now. And it's that Fidelity Investments is doing the best job for serving this situation. If you have a young child, Fidelity has become very welcoming to custodial accounts. That's uh, accounts for minor children. Kids are allowed at a relatively young age to actually manage how the investing is done. Fidelity charges no account fees, has no minimums. And uh, you want something ultra tax efficient, and Fidelity has their zero index funds where you pay no commissions and no ongoing expenses. So if I were looking for one recommendation, I would say that for this situation, Fidelity rises above the competition. And from Gordon in Illinois, I worked as a public school teacher for 10 years and recently made a career change. I'm trying to decide if I should roll over my teacher's pension, I'm vested, into my new 401k with my new employer. I'm not sure if it's better to wait for the market to improve before moving the funds or if it makes sense to just move it there to buy in the dip. The pension fund doesn't care if I leave the funds there indefinitely. I'm 35 years old. And I've given you the names of the pension fund and the 401k company. Okay, uh, Gordon... Definitely who the 401k is with is not where I'd move money. It's with an ultra high cost administrator for 401ks. It's an insurance company and it's going to be a very expensive place to move that money. Now, then here's the other issue. So right now you're in the teacher's pension fund and what I don't know from what you've written is if you leave the money there now that you're no longer teaching, is your benefit frozen or does the benefit continue to grow over the years, leaving it in the pension fund? Generally, the pension funds in Illinois, the public pension funds in Illinois, have what are considered to be, when you compare them to pension funds for public employees in other states, 
very, very generous. And I don't know if you could talk to someone at the teachers union where you used to work, if they could tell you with the city of Chicago teachers pension, if the money will continue to grow if you leave it behind and at what rate, if it does continue to grow and it's a decent rate, it would make sense to leave the money there in the pension fund. But if it does not continue to grow and the amount you have is frozen, I would move the money into your own IRA. It would have to be a traditional, and I'd do it at one of the low-cost companies rather than going into the 401k that is administered by this high-cost insurance company. And on my investment guide, I show you low-cost companies and recommended low-cost investments you could look at. But it may be, considering the narrow circumstances you asked me about, that you're going to be better off leaving the money in the pension fund. This is becoming more and more rare. In in most states, public employees that are hired today no longer have access to pensions. They have access to the equivalent of 401ks being provided to eliminate the future taxpayer burden of the promises made on these public employee pensions. Now, I thank you so much for joining us today. I hope that if you enjoyed our podcast, you'll tell a friend or a family member. And if you did not enjoy it, make sure you share it with a family member you don't like. (laughs) 